Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Excited to see you guys today. Um, we are kicking off a brand new series today for the month of February. And let me say beforehand, uh, you guys need to make sure on your way out the door, take a, a photo in, in front of our photo op there. Um, if, you, uh, if you have a significant other, make sure that you take a photo so that it will embarrass your kids. Like, make it kissy, make it cute, do your thing. Um, if you don't have a significant other, raise your hand who's single. In here? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call you out. I was trying to do some matchmaking, but it didn't work. Y'all don't roll like that. Okay. We're going to start a very own app for the church for just single people. It'll be the, it'll be the uh, holy version of Tinder. And that'd be great, wouldn't it? Dating's hard, right? Dating's hard, marriage is hard, love is hard. We're kicking off a series today called Love and Marriage. Um, and I would like for us to this morning go to the very first place in the Bible that is a representation of marriage. It's actually in your very first book of your Bible in Genesis. So it's really easy. Open up your cover, flip a few pages after the table of contents, and it'll get you to Genesis. Also, any scriptures that we share today are going to be included on your message notes that were on your chair as you came in. I, uh, I want to encourage you to take some notes today and do that. Um, now, Genesis, this, what we're going to read today, this is right at the very beginning of the creation of our world, that God created our world and everything in it, and then he created mankind to fill it and to take care of it. But what you'll see is, if you read the very first two chapters, Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 2, it seems like it really tells two separate stories of creation, like it tells about it again. But what I want to tell you is that what's uh, Genesis chapter 1 kind of highlights it, the creation of mankind. Genesis chapter 2 just kind of dives in a little bit deeper um, to what the story is. So it's not two separate stories. It is the same story just told from different levels, okay? So we're diving into Genesis chapter 2 this morning. So God creates mankind. He creates man. He creates Adam. And he places him in the middle of this garden called Eden, the very first uh, human that was created. And then we're going to pick up here in verse number 18. You can read along on the screens. It says this, that the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Wouldn't that be a job? You get to name all the animals in the world and you have no context to go by. Just be hard. But whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He said, I like it. I'll call her woman, for she was taken out of man. And that's why a man leaves his father 
and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So here we have the very first representation in the Bible of a marriage between a man and a woman. You have two individuals that were created to be in intimate relationship with each other. And again, we come to this this, uh, idea that I've shared before in the past of the law of first mention, that you'll learn about it when you're You know, if you ever take Bible classes, you'll learn about this law of first mention, and it states this, that if you want to know the purest form or the purest version of a subject, you'll go back in the Bible to the first place that it was was written, and that is supposed to be the the purest form of it. And so, this is an easy one. Um, If you want to know about the unity between a man and a woman, you want to know what that should be all about, all you have to do is go to the first and second chapter of your Bible, and it, and it tells you so much. And as we, as we study there, we discover this, that there are themes that are mentioned in this passage that almost can be glossed over. They can almost be um, not, not recognized, but they're a very important part of marriage, and these themes are actually shown throughout the Bible, not just in the first book of the Bible. We're going to go dive deeper into some of those specific purposes in this message, but before we do, I just want to lay a foundation because, how I many you guys know it doesn't matter how well the walls are built, if the foundation is shaky, uh, it's going to crumble. So I want to really build a foundation this morning. I want to lay that down that um, the overarching theme of love and marriage Like, you guys, make sure you come back in Sundays to come, but this is, like, if you take nothing else away, the overarching theme of love and marriage, I'm not shy to say this, that this is what the, our, every relationship we have and every marriage um, that you, you might have, uh, they roll up to this one big idea, and that is this, that marriage is meant to be a reflection of our relationship with Christ, Marriage is meant to be a reflection of our relationship with Christ. That's it. That's the meaning of marriage. The title of your message today, the meaning of marriage, that, that is it. So um, let me pray for us, and then I'll just, no, I'm just kidding. I got some more. <laughs> but our relationships are meant to demonstrate what a relationship with, somebody's having a good time, what a relationship with God is supposed to be like. And how do I know that? Because it's clearly laid out in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read a little portion of this and then we'll present some on the screen there. But Ephesians chapter 5, this is a big wedding verse. I like to share that um, in weddings. But it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. By the way, really want you guys to focus on the first one because uh, we have this problem today where, uh, where the man will take this verse here and he'll say, look at this, you're supposed to submit to me. But the verse right there before it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So anyway, that's not my notes, that's for free. Uh, I'll take payment at the door. Not for free, actually. So, for the husband is the head of the wife, and as Christ is the head of the church, his, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then we roll into verse number 31. I want to share this with you today. It's a repeat of what we just heard in Genesis chapter 2. For this reason... A man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then the good thing is, Paul's going to make commentary on that, where maybe you didn't understand what it said in Genesis. He's going to make commentary. He said, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He says, I'm... this whole thing's written because I'm talking about your relationship with, with God, your relationship with Jesus, how your marriage should be reflective of that. You know, I officiate weddings um, this part of my job, and uh, I've done a lot of them really here in the past few years, especially during spring. You know, love's in the air, people just for whatever reason, they, and they love to have outdoor weddings during this time when the pollen count is real high, and so I'm standing up there, and they're like, Pastor, why are you crying in all of my pictures? I'm not. I just have allergies, okay? Like, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but I just have really bad allergies. Uh, but, you know, I love, I love celebrating at weddings, and I love meeting new people, and spending time with the wedding parties is one of my favorite uh, things that I get to do in life because some of them are buck wild, and it's just funny to watch them. But when I started performing weddings, I created this wedding template, and it's a general outline of what I say at every single wedding. Like, uh, it's not always this exact same, but it's generally the structure is always the same. And it's, you know, somewhat customizable for the couples that are getting married. They can say their own vows if they want, or they can use the vows that I write for them or, or whatever. But there's this template that I use. And while we're going through it, there's one thing that I won't change, though, within my template. I'll change a lot for them, but I won't change this, that when I'm addressing the audience, the people that are there to witness the wedding, um, I, I won't change what I say to them. In, in fact, I, I care about addressing the audience like I do so much that I won't do the wedding, uh, completely won't do the wedding if I'm not allowed to say this like I have it written. And and in that section, I always tell everyone at the wedding that this thought that I'm sharing with you today, that marriage between a man and a woman is meant to be a representation of the relationship between God and man. That's the entire reason that marriage was even established in the first place. The concept of marriage only exists because it's modeled first after the relationship of, between man and God. Now, there's some significance here. Our relationships and our marriages, if they're meant to be representations of God's relationship with humankind, that holds a lot of weight. That holds a lot of significance, which means that maybe, just maybe, we need to make sure that our marriages are healthy. Why? Because your marriage or your relationship might be the only thing that someone sees in order to determine what God is like. You're, you might be it. Your relationship or your marriage could be the make it or break it for some people. And you say, well, my relationship should be private. Listen, your relationship may be personal, but it will never be private, especially in today's world. Your relationship should, should be personal to you, 
but it's not going to be private. And there's a reason. Because people need to see a good, healthy, God-honoring relationship so they can, might, their, their heart might have the walls broken down that they can receive a relationship with Jesus themselves. You know, someone's always looking at your life. For example, um, social media. They're always examining it. They're always judging it. Some people are, are hating on you. And when social media comes around... There's more people looking at your life. There's more people examining it. There's more people judging it. You got even more people hating on you and still choosing to follow you. Shout out to all your haters. Give them a shout out right here on the RIP. No, just kidding. I'm not killing them. Just joking. Uh, But like it or not, choose it or not, people will see God through the lens of your relationship. And I know that helps you kind of feel the weight of it. I hope it helps you recognize the significance of it. Because we're at a point in America where marriages have become disposable. One mistake and somebody's gone. One slip up and someone's gone. One crossword with each other and someone's gone. A shinier car comes along. You know what I mean? Uh, a younger lady comes on and somebody's gone. But here's my question to you. What would it look like if, if, if Jesus left you after your first mistake? I'd been, he'd been done with me a long time ago. I don't know about you, uh, but, but I'd say nobody in here is perfect. And, but your marriage is significant. Your marriage is significant. If you, and if you, knew, if you knew that someone's eternity hinged on how you, they saw your relationship or your marriage, would that change how you treated your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend? Would you be more patient? Would you shower them with love and affection more? Would you quit talking about how you just need to get away from them to get some peace? Would you just talk better about them? Some things to think about, leaving it, leaving it with you there. But when people look at our relationships and our marriage, they should get a picture of what life for them would be like with Jesus. So this morning I want to talk to you about three purposes of marriage and not only though how they connect our relationships with each other, but also, and this is why you can sit here today and even if you're not in a relationship or marriage, I want to show even more importantly how they could connect our relationship with God. Even if you're not married, even if you're not in a relationship with someone else, these points will still apply to your relationship with God, so there's three purposes of marriage. There aren't only three, but there's these are the three that uh, that are kind of laid on my heart, and I'm going to share them with you. Num- number one, purpose of marriage: companionship. Companionship. You can write that down. Companionship. You know, one of the first things that God noticed when He created man was that we would not do well when we're lonely. We would not do well when we're isolated. We would not do well when we're shut off from the world. And, and he says this in Genesis chapter 2, the very first part of verse 18. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. He knew the dangers. He knew the, pit, the pitfalls. He knew what we'd experience. The, the, the first purpose of marriage is companionship. To always have somebody that you know is there. You know they're there. No matter what, thick, thin, they're there. They, they're, they're right there with you. Listen, you should never be lonely if you're married. You should never be lonely. If you are, 
and you're sitting here, don't nudge your husband, okay? Don't nudge your wives. But, <laughs> but if you are, then you should do some intentional things to create quality time together. You should never have to be lonely in your marriage. And companionship looks like different things to all types of people. There's this, um, there's this book called The Five Love Languages, and it talks about how people receive and communicate their love in different ways. Essentially, different people speak different languages when it comes to giving love and receiving it. And the key to being a good companion to your spouse and your significant other is learning how to communicate your love in a way that they prefer to receive it. Let me say it like this. I could walk up to someone that does not speak English and I can say all the things that I want to them, but they're never going to understand what I'm saying until I communicate it in their language. And that's what we're talking about here, the love languages, is that your spouse, hey, you're loving them, you're doing everything you can do, but you're not yet communicating in their language. They're not feeling the same thing that you're giving. And the key to being a good companion is to recognize that and to learn how to speak love their language. So the five languages, if you're interested, they are uh, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, and physical touch. And for each person, companionship looks really like one of these things, but here's what I found um, in, in my relationship. Before, uh, before I read this book and, and did this quiz and this test and all this, I was communicating my love in a way that was different than how Cassie preferred to receive it. I was communicating it the best way I knew how. But I was still, she wasn't understanding it because I was communicating it in a language that she didn't necessarily speak. Now, I wasn't doing it bad. She appreciated all my effort, but, I, uh, uh, but it started becoming more impactful when I started communicating to her uh, that I loved her in a way that, that, that she preferred to receive, not the way that I preferred to share it. Because what you'll find is that most of us will express our love in the way that we want to receive it, because that's all we know. But everything will change when you start expressing your love to your spouse and to your girlfriend or your boyfriend in the way that they're hardwired to receive it. And this is what I would do this week. If I were you, homework for you and your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, write down what love language out of those five uh, you can find this online, fivelovelanguages.com. Um, and write down before you do this, though, write down what, what love language you think your significant other, your spouse, is. And then go to this website and take this quiz, fivelovelanguages.com. Take this love language quiz and then find out the love language that they actually prefer. So like write it down because you think you're going to know, but then find out what they actually prefer and then work on it. Work on start lo starting to love them the best way that they prefer. It's all about companionship here. It's all about, about companionship. So you could be bringing home husbands. Let me help you here. You could be bringing home flowers once a week and, and your wife receives them in, with a smile on, but you're not speaking in the right love language because she doesn't really necessarily want Flowers, she wants you to vacuum the house. Like, and so she's still upset at you because you're giving, you're giving gifts, but she wants you to partner with her. She wants you to, have, to give her an act of service. Clean the house, wash the dishes, fold the towels right. 
Like, listen, <laughs> I didn't realize I did this when Cassie and I first got married. Uh, she would go, and I was in the Army, so I'm very, if anybody works with me closely, you know I'm very particular on the way that I like things, and uh, it's something I'm working on. I'm trying to get there. Um, but I will not apologize for it. Anyway, um, but so Cassie would go, and she would fold the towels out of the dryer, and we had just gotten married, and so I didn't realize I was doing this. We're folding laundry together, and I work my way over to the towel pile that she's already folded, and I start folding it my way. <laughs> I didn't understand why she was so upset until she's like, you just refolded all the towels that I folded first. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize I did that. And uh, I don't know why I told that story, but it was just a funny marriage story. But you know what? I had to fold the towels. Her, she, wanted the to she folded the towels. I didn't need her to fold the towels my way. But it was just something that, I don't know, I, I just did it subconsciously. And, uh, but we had to learn to communicate to each other the way that we preferred love. And hers was not refolding the towels after she had folded them. And I've not done it since to this day. I will fold the towels my way when I'm folding them and she can fold them her ways when, when she's folding them and it's all good. But husbands, I'm just trying to save you here. Communicate the love to your spouse the way that she wants to receive it. So to be a companion to the, your spouse in the way that they love, listen, be present with your spouse. Be present with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like actually spend time with them. And, I, and I'm saying, if you're watching a movie together, watch the movie together or turn it off. Quit jumping on your phone and scrolling Facebook. Because it is just, it's, it, you're, you're not spending quality time. You're in the same room as each other, and you, and you wouldn't even know it. Your spouse wants a companion. And also, looking at your, uh, this from the lens of your relationship with God, God is your ultimate companion. He's your ultimate companion. The reason that you can have companionship in marriage is because he first demonstrated companionship with you. God is always with us. He's, he desires to be in our presence. God wants to be with you. And he wants you to desire to be in his presence. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam. And, and it implies that this was his, one of his normal things to do. That one of his normal things to do was just to come and walk through the garden to commune with Adam and Eve. But you know, today, we're in an even better situation than they were. We're in a better situation. Today, you don't have to be in a specific place to encounter God. You can be in a fair barn. You can be in a bathroom. You can be in, a, you could be in the car. You can, you can encounter God wherever you are because God is there already. As long as you have a relationship with God that you've, you've made this profession of faith and you've been saved, as we call it in, in the church, you, you've gotten saved. As long as that is the prerequisite, God is with you no matter what. He's your lifelong companion. And God lives within you through the pe person of the Holy Spirit. You have a companion in God. And he made this promise to you to never leave you and to never turn your, his back on you. He'll never leave you. He'll never turn his back on you. You might be in a lonely place today. You might be in a place where you wonder if you have anyone left in the world. Let me give you some good news. You do. You do. You have someone who is always just a word away. God wants to spend time with you. He wants to be your companion. Number two, purpose of marriage is partnership. Partnership. Marriage is a partnership. In fact, 
marriage, many marriages have a lot of stress on them because they feel like there are these assigned gender roles to certain chores or to certain tasks or who should make the most money. And they assign it to who should be doing that based off of what gender they might be. But it's a partnership. Your marriage your marriage is a partnership. In Genesis chapter 2, the second half of this verse, verse 18, God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Listen, marriage isn't about you, you doing this or me doing that. It's about both of us working together to accomplish what we need to accomplish. Get done what you need to get done. I say this in every, every wedding that I perform, that marriage is not 50-50. Marriage has to be 100-100. It's got to be both of you doing everything that you can do to make the relationship successful and picking the other one up when they're down and they can pick you up when you're down. Marriage is a partnership between you and your partner. And God is calling you to partner together in calling in ministry as well. Like your spouse should be your partner in ministry. And, and, and not, not that both of you will just work at a church for that, that might not be your calling. But listen, but personal ministry. Personal ministry, because each one of us has it. There's something that God is calling you and your spouse to do together. You both have personal ministry. And as a spouse, your job is to be a partner to your spouse in their ministry and their job is to be a partner to you and yours. Lean into God's callings together and lean on each other inside of your callings. It's a partnership. And God wants to partner with you as well. Whether you're married or you're single, God partners with you. And luckily, he carries the majority of the load. He, whatever you're called to do, God is ready to carry the majority of the load. We're invited to participate in what he's doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. It's not on the screen. You're just going to, I added this later. Sorry. We are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building. It, it, what that means is we're co laborers. Some, some versions say we are co laborers with Christ, meaning when I'm working, He's working with me. And He's inviting me to come in and work in what He's wanting to do in the earth as well. We're co laborers. We're partners, and God is inviting you to partner with him to accomplish his purposes on the earth, and he'll partner with you when you do it. You need help, you need more strength, you need more wisdom, partner with God, because he can help you, and he wants to help you. Marriage is about partnership. Our relationship with God is about partnership. Finally, number three, number three, Multiplication. Marriage is about multiplication. I'm not, I don't have to go too deep there, okay? Explain it to your kids later. It's about multiplication. This is a major purpose of marriage. In fact, this was the first command that we can read about that God gave to mankind. He said, fill the earth. <clears throat> fill the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says this, we're going to go backwards just one chapter here from where we started. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea 
excuse me, and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We're called to fill the earth and we're called to do it the right way. So I've got to hit on this just for a bit. We've got to keep our passions within the proper boundaries. We've got to keep our passions. We've got to, the, the boundaries of procreation are meant to be within the boundaries of marriage. That's how we're supposed to live. We've got to keep our passions within our boundaries. You know, God wants us to multiply, but he wants us to multiply within marriage. The reason is not to keep us from having fun, to keep us from pleasure, or to keep strict control of our lives. God commands us to keep procreation within the confines of marriage as protection. Protection for us and protection for our children. You know, God's trying to save you from emotional distress by only allowing you to have children with your life mate, with your spouse. And God's trying to save your children the trauma of a split household. You know, we have an epidemic of broken homes in America. We can see the youth of America struggling because they've never received the affirmation and the healthy development that they can only receive in a healthy home, a unified home. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. If you're single here, if you're a single man or woman and you've been divorced or maybe you've been remarried, um, I promise you I only have compassion for you. I, I, I don't judge you. In fact, I look up to you and I honor you because you're doing an incredible job. You're doing an incredible job with your family of making sure that your children are having the best possible life that they can have. I don't judge you for it. I applaud you for it. God doesn't judge you for it. He applauds you for it. If you've, if you've had or having a child outside of marriage, please don't feel shameful. Please don't feel judged. Please don't feel condemned. Press into being absolutely the best parent that your child can possibly have. You can do that and you can thrive in it. And I want you to know if that, that if you're someone who struggles to get pregnant or even if you're someone who does not have the desire to have children, that does not mean you're out of God's will. It doesn't mean that. Because even more so than producing physical children, God gives us a greater mission. Not only to physically populate the earth, but God calls us to populate heaven. God is calling you to grow his kingdom. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, this is referred to as the Great Commission. And, and, and here I'm going to read it to you. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am, all, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is calling us to grow his kingdom, to go and make disciples. That means leading people to Jesus and then letting them walk with you as you model a lifestyle of faith to them. It doesn't mean another Bible study. It doesn't mean another class. It means letting your life be a partner to these people and letting them walk with you. I'm saying like if you're growing, going grocery shopping, call them up and see if they just want to go grocery shopping with you because discipleship le looks less like a classroom than it does just a living situation. That's what true discipleship's all about. And this is the most important thing that you can do in this life, bar none, is to make disciples, to make disciples. And you can make them fear physically by having kids. You can make them spiritually. 
we'll say it like this. You can create them or you can convert them. But God wants us to make disciples. Some of y'all are working real hard to grow this church, and I love it. We have babies coming out the wazoo. <laughs> You'll get it in a second. But companionship, partnership, and multiplication. These aren't the only purposes of marriage, but these are some important ones that can relate to your relationship with God. Overall, God wants our relationships with each other to be reflections of our relationship with Him. So my challenge to you today, start giving attention to the areas of your relationships and your marriage that you need to so that you can reflect Jesus well. Your spouse needs it. Your kids need it. The world needs it. They need to see you. They need to see through you what God has to offer to them. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.